Steven, you asked the last question. It's my turn now to ask this question. Are you ready? I'm so ready. What is the purpose of... Life? No. Of this show? No. Underpants? I I, I don't think... Mustard? I actually don't think there's a purpose to underpants, (laughs) but what is the purpose of reading? I'm stunned into silence by the profundity of that question. What does profundity mean? That's my other question. (laughs) How did you know? What is the purpose of reading? Uh, I would say, using the Altucher uh, model of advice is autobiography, I would look to my own life and say, why have I read what I've read when I've read? And I would say that even for me, one little person, there are a lot of different reasons, right? So sometimes I've read for pure joy, right? That's not that often, but like when I was a kid especially. What do you read for pure joy right now? What I read for read pure a lot of joy stuff for professional reasons. I do, I do. I read. Two, so that distorts the picture. It really does. Uh, what I read for pure joy is I read about sports. So whatever sport I'm into. So the last few years, I'm really into golf. Even you know, following professional golf and reading all I can about that. And there are some really good writers in golf. Um, do you ever read any golf fiction? I've read a little golf fiction. It's been dreadful, absolutely really? dreadful. Yeah. Um, but I and I like to read about soccer because my son. Solomon, who's a nice boy, um, has become a total footy nut, and he follows it more closely than I've ever followed anything in my life. He knows more about it than I've ever known about anything in my life, and I kind of caught the bug off of him, and I really, really, really enjoy keeping up with, you know, Premier League and Barcelona and stuff like that. So that's what I read for pure joy. But you're reading, like, And the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm still—I haven't abandoned American football, so when the Steelers win, as they occasionally do, I really— do I go on what's called a burger binge, B-I-R-G-E-R, basking in reflected glory. And let me just say, once again, my favorite Stephen Dubner book, Confessions of a Hero Worshipper, the hero you're worshiping is the great Franco Harris from the 1970s Pittsburgh Steelers. That's right. He was a, he was a great man. Um, is he dead? He, he's not dead. Uh, and you're right. said was. So I, I should I... have not implied that he's no longer great, although the book is kind of me tracking him down as an adult and and seeing if he would still speak to me. No, it wasn't just that. It was you tracking down, and then you sort of wanted to be friends with him. I did. I sort of. What do you mean sort of wanted to be friends with him? I very much wanted to be friends with him. But it was kind of like you... you, you, He didn't want to be friends with me. You kind of went into the book like, oh, this is like a research project, but it was really like (laughs) secretly... But you know, that's why you become a writer. That's why I became a writer, is to accomplish the things or ask the questions that no sane person would give themselves the permission to ask otherwise. Right, and podcasting does the same thing. You could just call people up and say, hey, I want to talk to you. Will you talk to me? I have a podcast. And even though they hand out podcasts at the airport now, as soon as you get off the plane, (laughs) just people will talk to you if you have a podcast. It is true. Like the craziest people. So reading for pleasure, I think, is real. When I was a kid, like what I read for pleasure as a kid was the Hardy Boy books, for instance. Did you ever read them? Yes, yes. So, you know, I loved, I mean, I loved those books in part because they were so formulaic. They were all like 212 pages and Joe and Frank always got into the jam at about the same time. Then Fenton would have to come along and bail him out a lot of the time in the same exact way. But like I would often read two or three of those in a day. Is that possible? That makes yeah, yeah. me sound like a better reader than I no, probably was. No, because like, like, they were fast reads. All of those things, like if you were into them, you yeah. could just like, it, it was like eating junk food. Right. Like science fiction books for me. And Oh, uh, uh, yeah. See, I never, I never, I've never liked anything. It's not even science fiction. I've never liked anything not real. 
That's at so, all. Th- that's so funny considering you come from Schenectady. <laughs> And one of the one of the bright spots of 1950s pop culture is the uh, pulp science fiction book. It came from Schenectady. Right. So you're saying that because a book is has the city of my birth in its name, that therefore everybody born there should like all science fiction. Yes. Very, that is very sensible conclusion. <laughs> but anyway, you read for joy. Um, I'll tell you what I I don't really do this a lot, but I know some people who do. They read for distraction. The way that why wouldn't they watch TV for a distraction? Because um, reading is very unnatural, right? Like TV, at least you think these events are happening. Your brain thinks these events are happening right in front of you. But reading, you're you're just looking at these lines that human beings have never looked at until 500 years ago. So my answer for why, in this case, like this one friend of mine that I'm thinking of in particular, why she would read for distraction is because it is more of a you have to make more of an effort. And so it therefore becomes more fully distracting. In other words, I have to invest my actual brain in what's going on, and I have to contribute some to when I'm reading, as opposed to just watching what's on the screen, where it fills in every blank for you. So if I have to fill in some blanks, it's mentally engaging and therefore more distracting if I'm feeling upset or anxious or stressed about something. So I would say joy, for one, distraction. I think there are many, 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 many answers. But for me, the big reason I read, okay, then a third reason that I and a lot of other people I know read is two answers that are kind of closely related, but I think of them as different. One, to learn stuff, obviously, right? I think reading is such a much better way to attain information than a lot of other kind of similar things like listening to podcasts. Okay, we do have to pause for a minute to hear from our sponsor. Won't take long. Question of the day. We'll be right back. These days, who does not have at least one Apple product? I will say this. In the Dubner family, we have between 35 and 40, I'd say. Well, now you can see the story behind the extraordinary man who brought you all your favorite gadgets from the Academy Award-winning director of Slumdog Millionaire and the Academy Award-winning screenwriter of The Social Network comes a new film starring Michael Fassbender, simply called Steve Jobs. There's no doubt that Steve Jobs has left his mark not only in the tech industry, but also in our daily lives. Take a peek at his incredible life and backstory in this new film and discover what led to the visionary Apple CEO becoming a household name. IndieWire calls it must-see, one-of-a-kind cinema that cannot be ignored. And Variety declares it's impossible to take your eyes off Michael Fassbender. Don't miss this stunning film about one of the most influential people of our time, opening in select theaters today. You can catch it everywhere beginning October 16th. But let me ask you a question, and this is, um, I think the reason is correct and a good reason, but if you have a, a book with, let's say, X number of facts in it that are interesting to you, yeah, what percent what, do what I percentage remember? will you One, remember? Two. It's okay. like... About the same percent as the specials that I'll remember in a restaurant when a waiter comes and recites them, right? Okay. So you, so they'll get up and talk for like two and a half minutes, and you'll remember balsamic and breast. But like, so, but one one two percent could be duck. good enough. Uh, no, because there's also something in the act of doing it that even though you don't hope to retain everything, that you're actually enjoying it, right? Okay. So, All so right. it could be a little bit binary. But one is to learn stuff, right? Which I really believe in. There are a lot of different books from which you can learn a lot of different things. But also, and this is related but different, is to um, kind of eavesdrop. So, like my theory, you know, when I went to graduate school, I went to graduate school for writing, which. Seems kind of ridiculous on the one hand, but maybe not so much on the other. And uh, I got an MFA in fiction writing from Columbia, which was, you know, really 
in retrospect, really good. And how how has that helped your novel writing? Uh, my novel writing when, has really been zooming. Out? So, but this is kind of my point, which is when I went there, I would have much preferred to get an MFA in nonfiction writing. But even though there was a nonfiction program, it was like three people and one professor who I shouldn't say anything about because it would all be libelous. Okay, and and everything, all the momentum was in fiction. But that was a while ago, and since then the trend has really, really changed. Now, most of the big books that people talk about or that get talked about a lot, I guess, are nonfiction. And so the Particularly novel... Particularly like this kind of um, uh, almost like literary nonfiction mm-hmm. style that I feel uh, there's Malcolm Gladwell, there's maybe slightly more novelistic, but Ben Mesrick, A.J. Jacobs, Tucker Max, uh, so all this kind of like where, the, where, where you're almost a character in the nonfiction which right. didn't well, typically I mean, happen 20 years ago. Right. Well, narrative like create what we think of as creative narrative nonfiction that, you know, some people kind of date back to Tom Wolfe and Norman Mailer and a bunch of guys who were writing for what became New York Magazine, which is where I got my first job. I mean, there was this tradition where it took nonfiction and injected all the mo- methodologies of fiction writing, right? Creating a scene, yes. using dialogue in a way. And so that was, you know, relatively new. But what's also interesting to me is people used to read novels because it allowed them a window into a world that they had no access to, right? So if you think about, like, Bovary, like, why do we read about Emma Bovary? You could give a hundred, like, high-minded answers, right? But one answer, in my view, would also be we, we like, don't, we have no idea what goes on in the interior life of a given person or a person, like, in that situation. But I would argue that now we have a lot more exposure to people's inner lives. So reality TV is just one example of that. But I think we live in a much, much, much more confessional and open culture where I don't need to read or write a novel to understand what a family is thinking about and fighting about and being happy about. Whereas nonfiction, and this is why I think nonfiction has kind of surpassed fiction, Not there's still a lot to learn about different things that we don't have such good access to. I think that's really interesting. I haven't thought about that, that that would kind of reduce the need for fiction. Although on Amazon still, fiction sales, I believe, you know, far outweigh, at least on the e-books, uh, Nonfiction sales. I think that's partly a pricing function because a lot of that is um, pretty cheap romance novels. Although I'm yes. not saying that romance novels sh- aren't more popular. They may very well be. And I'm not saying they don't deserve to be either, by the way. Right. And also, but that also goes along with your argument because for many people who read those, the, these are novels about situations that are not happening in their own lives. So they want to, it's this escapism to happen and uh, they could read it in the fictional life. But I, I, think, I think your point is good that uh, essentially, like when you're reading nonfiction, Instead of me being, let's say, a golfer for 20 years, I can read a book by a golfer, and it's as if those whole 20 years are curated down into a book, and I can absorb it in a few hours or a few days. What a great thing. It's like a magical thing. I can live his whole life, you know, the the best moments of his whole life, and I can read it in one book. I don't have to live that life. I can still live my Mm, life. So, So by many books, I can live. It's as if I'm living many lives. Think of the advantage you have by kind of absorbing life after life of all the best books, assuming you're reading the best books out there. So why do you read? I, I read because I want to, uh, two reasons. One is uh, I, wanna, I want to kind of absorb, again, these curated lives of other people who have succeeded or shown excellence in some area of their, of their life or who have studied excellence or history or whatever. And then on fiction, I want to read high-quality fiction 
these are the people who write really high quality fiction have spent their 20 years or 30 years mastering the art of writing. And so I read that to try to mimic it so I could hopefully be a better writer. And how do you define high quality or what in your view is high quality? I think that's obviously somewhat subjective, but I think if something has withstood the test of time, then probably it's a good book to read. Like regardless of what you think of, let, let's just take someone like Ernest Hemingway. Regardless of what you think of him personally, just simply reading, when, for me, whenever I read Old Man in the Sea, I feel like I become a better writer. Like, I'm willing to read that once a year because I feel like I become a better writer every time I read it, and even though I have no interest in the topic at all. So, you know what you and I have to do? We have to... Um, a reading contest. <laughs> a race. We're going to read books fast. John I, Grisham. I was thinking collaborative and not competitive. I was thinking we should start a Hardy Boys uh, book club. Oh yeah, and that be so much fun because now, you know, I'm not gonna, that, I'm not gonna be, I, I'm not, I want to be inclusive of Nancy Drew as well, though. I read the Nancy Drews, yeah, okay. uh, and I like they were basically the same. Except the thing that I actually preferred about the Hardy Boy books is that there were two, the two of them, which just made the whole since one of them always got kidnapped, or sometimes both of them got kidnapped, it, it gave you more possibilities. Right after this quick break, we'll give you a taste of our next question of the day. Thanks again to Universal Pictures and their upcoming film, Steve Jobs, for sponsoring today's episode of Question of the Day. The director of Slumdog Millionaire and the writer of The Social Network have teamed up to bring you Steve Jobs. Don't miss it. In select theaters starting today, you can catch it everywhere October 16th. What's the best way to show your love for Question of the Day? Just go to iTunes and write us a review. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe. That way, you won't miss this. Entire park was covered in rats. So what I would have to do to like make a, it home. Com- like a rat carpet? Yeah, it was like a rat carpet, really? literally. What I'd have to do as soon as what I... What are they doing? I don't know. But what I ha- literally would have to do is I'd have to jump, and then they would run away, and that would like clear the path. I was like Moses, like parting the Red Sea of rats. Question of the Day is produced and mixed by David Herman with Allison Hockenberry and Greta Cohn.